There are four Gospels in the New Testament. Two of them have accounts of the birth of Jesus. And we have heard the readings from these accounts today from Matthew and from Luke. But interestingly, it is in Luke's account, the birth of Jesus, that we find numerous songs, a number of songs. We're not told that they were sung. Perhaps we would want a tune. Uh, They are lyrical. They are poetic in many ways. But traditionally, they've come to be known as songs. One that we did not read today is Mary's song, where she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And then Zechariah's song, also in Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And then what Zib read to us from Luke chapter 2, the angel song, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And then what Lonnie read to us later in Luke chapter 2, uh, Simeon's song, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. It is interesting that Luke's gospel in these first two chapters has these songs, and his gospel also ends uh, with singing. Um, he tells of a joyous community and one that is marked by singing. But why do we sing? Why do human beings sing? Why do Christians sing? And why do we sing so many songs at Christmas? When you look at the Christian calendar, uh, yes, we have Easter, and we have some Easter songs, and we have other holidays, holy days, but it is Christmas that really has the greatest number of songs. And why is that? And I thought we would try to answer these questions today. Why do people sing? We could do a whole series of sermons on this, but we won't. I would simply say that I think singing is a way to express or to communicate something that can't be expressed simply by speaking. You know, that we could just talk, but singing conveys it in a very different way. It allows us to express our emotions and our responses, I think, in different ways, in meaningful ways, in memorable ways. And so there are, there traditionally have been different songs for different occasions. It used to be that people had work songs, songs they sang while they worked or when they went to war. There have always been love songs, seemingly. There are funeral songs, dirges. There are lullabies. There are songs at weddings, bridal songs. There are songs of mourning and simply household songs that people sing as they are walking and working around the house. There's only one mention of singing in the book of Genesis. It's when Jacob sneaks off from his father-in-law, he takes his wives and children and they go back toward Canaan and his father-in-law finally catches up with him. And he said, why did you run off secretly and deceive me Why didn't you tell me so that I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? In other words, what we would call a farewell party, a despedida, there are songs. We don't simply, you know, we're we're sad that you're leaving, but there are certain songs that were sung as people are moving to another place. 
I think we've somehow gotten removed from this because of the various technologies that have emerged over the years. I think we don't sing in our daily lives as much as people used to, but rather we have a soundtrack. Somebody else has sung or played an instrument, and that becomes the soundtrack of our life. Uh, and, and we don't always think of singing on these various occasions. Some may associate a song with a particular event in their lives. I've mentioned this before, but uh, years ago, Dean and Alicia Brown celebrated their 50th anniversary. And there were ser several questions that were asked. At, at There was a dinner, and the question was asked, um, what was your song when you were courting? And both of them, just like that, they knew exactly what that song was that was so special to them before they got married. I also remember... Uh, I was given a tour of a local cemetery, I think trying to encourage, uh, encourage pastors to encourage their people to be buried there. And we were told there, you know, we provide various types of services, various types of music. And they happened to mention that the most requested song was I Did It My Way uh, by Frank Sinatra, which I thought was unusual. But the idea that we would sing at a funeral seems... I think somewhat foreign to us. We'd rather have a soundtrack. We'd rather have somebody else singing for us. Singing provides also a sense of identity. We have a national anthem. Every country has a national anthem. And when it plays, we know, oh, we belong to that country. It's a part of our identity. Or your alma mater, the school song. This is a part of your identity. In Psalm 137, the Jews are in exile. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. They've been taken away from their home country, from the place where they were born and grew up. They now live in a foreign country, and they are filled with grief. But what happened? For there are tormentors, that is the Babylonians, ask us for songs. Our tormentors demanded of us songs of joy. They said... Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. In their sorrow, they could not sing the songs of joy. But their captors wanted it. Hey, you guys are Jews. You have songs. Sing us some Jewish songs. Sing us some songs, Jewish songs of joy. And the exile said this is something they could not do. I would argue that singing is something that is common to human beings. But songs not only have words, they also have melodies and rhythms and harmonies, which in fact don't always go along with the words. There may be a certain dissonance. And this is why, in church history at least, there seems to have been two different positions about Christians singing. Um, there's a certain ambivalence about this. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, beginning of the fourth century, uh, he wavered between the danger of singing, because it might you know, gratify your senses, uh, and the benefits that we experience when we sing songs of praise. 
He was very cautious about the power of music, and his endorsement of music was less than strong. It was certainly ambivalent. Yes, music was good, but it could also be corrupted. In the Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin called music a gift from God, but they emphasized different aspects. Luther celebrated music as God's own creation. Calvin regarded it as something that human beings, through our fallen nature, um, invented, but they both believed it could be corrupted. And so like Augustine, they were really worried which direction music might take us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, was a strong believer in singing, but he also was somewhat ambivalent about it. He wrote, Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing God more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound but offered to God continually. You might like this the melody or the harmony or whatever, but be careful you don't get carried away. His brother, Charles Wesley, who interestingly enough wrote 6,000 hymns, if you can believe it, 6,000 hymns, he referred to singing as the holy pleasure. H-O-L-Y, holy pleasure. Those are two words that we don't normally put together. Um, Pleasure sounds too dangerous for its own good. But this is why I think hymns are really important. They've been written thoughtfully. They've been sung over a period of time. So for the the most part, we are not carried away apart from the message of the lyrics. There's a quote that is attributed to Augustine. People have now challenged this. He who sings to God in worship prays twice. And in this, he was hinting at the reality that singing is something important. It adds to our worship when we come together as God's people. So why do we sing as Christians? Why do Christians sing? We're human beings, so if human beings sing, we sing. Why do we sing? I think, as with other things, it's important to see it in light of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. In terms of creation, that is to say, the questions come up, Is music something we have on our own? Or is this something that God created in us? Is it something that God gave us, like language, something to communicate? Is it something that reflects the image of God? And what we find in the book of Job, interestingly enough, is an account of creation, and at creation there was singing. Job is asked a series of questions because he's been quite one might even say arrogant in challenging God, and God now challenges him back. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. While the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In the days of creation, the heavenly hosts were singing. Singing is part of creation. When God brings Eve to Adam, Adam bursts into song. We're not told that he sang it, but certainly poetic when he said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
So that's creation. What about fall? One of the things we need to recognize is that when Adam and Eve sinned and the world was plunged into darkness, there was much that still remained of creation, the goodness of creation. And I would say singing is part of that. One of the descendants of Cain, you remember Cain's the bad brother, he killed his brother Abel, but one of his descendants, we are told in chapter 4 of Genesis, was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. So music was there, even in a fallen world. And at this point, we have a choice. We can either go back to creation and say that creation is, in creation, God gave us the gift of music. Or we can say in a fallen world, we came up with music on our own. It's simply a purely human invention. Um, The second can't be right. Because the morning stars sang together when God created the world. Music and singing are universal. It's part of what it means to be a human being. But it can, in fact, be used. It can be used for other things. I'm convinced that music is a gift from God. And singing, singing with words is a gift from God. In Job 35, when Elihu challenges Job, he says, But no one says, Where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? It's a wonderful phrase we find repeated in the book of Psalms. God the maker, God the creator, is the one who gives songs in the night. Nighttime is a symbol of human sin and uh, suffering. Nighttime is when things are scary. We fail to appreciate it because we have electricity. Just turn on the light. It's it's not a big deal. But in the ancient world where people use candles or lanterns, nighttime could be a very dark, no pun intended, but also a very scary time. But in that time, God has given us songs, songs that we can sing in the night. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, a pastor in London in the 19th century, said, Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. It's God who has given us this. In Psalm 149, the next to the last psalm in the book of Psalms, For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Let the saints rejoice with this honor, or in this honor, and sing for joy on their beds. At a time of darkness and of sorrow and of, frankly, scary things, we have been given the gift of music, and we should remember that. So we've seen creation, we've seen the fall. What about redemption? Why do God's people sing? Because now God has people. Well, here we come to an important point to remember. I think oftentimes when we think of creation, fall, redemption, we think redemption begins in the New Testament. But it actually begins with Abraham when God calls Abraham and says, I'm going to have a people. You are going to be my people. And after the redemptive act in the Old Testament, that's the Exodus, where God delivers his people out of slavery we have the first song recorded in Scripture. After they've passed through the Red Sea, 
This is Exodus 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And from this time on, we find singing mentioned as something that is a part of the people of God. That is to say, God redeems his people, and part of our response to that is we sing. We sing songs of praise, as Moses and the Israelites did back then. And it isn't just that. Singing helps us to remember in Deuteronomy 31. Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. It isn't simply something we do when we're at church. It's something we do in the night. It's something we do when we're scared. But it's something we do also when we are filled with joy. After the victory over Jabin in Judges chapter 5, we have the song of Deborah. And then we come to the book of Psalms, which is basically a song book, a book of songs. And we find 150 of them singing praises to God. You might say, well, that's, Damon, that's the Old Testament. Well, when we come to the New Testament, we find that singing is very important. It is a part of our worship in response to redemption. Paul mentions singing in his letter to the Romans. Uh, But in Ephesians 5, I think this is a critical verse, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Lord or to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell on you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. We don't necessarily, we converse, but we don't sing to each other, do we? Well, we do sing together as a congregation. But Paul encouraged the Ephesians and then the Colossians that in their conversations with one another that they would, in fact, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When Paul and Silas were in jail in Philippi, you remember the story? They had cast out a demon out of a girl who was able to tell fortunes. And the people who owned her, basically her pimps, were very upset and had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown in jail. And so what did they do? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. As God's people, singing is to be a part of what we do. What about consummation? What about the heavenly state? When this is all over and we are in the presence of God, will there be singing? Well, Read the book of Revelation and you find singing mentioned over and over and over again. It's interesting, I I don't think that people associate singing with the book of Revelation. They're always thinking about, you know, wars and future things. Uh, But singing is important. I'll just mention one passage. This is in chapter 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. 
they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. It's at this point in preparing the sermon, I'm thinking, "Eh, maybe we should do a series on singing and on hymns. Uh, But I said, no. In fact, what we've done today in singing all these Christmas carols is, in fact, I would say, a theology of singing. We have done it. Rather than thinking about it, we have done what God has created us to do, and that is to sing. One thing that needs to be mentioned is that singing involves the mind. Usually we think of singing as you know, your vocal cords and your mouth and all that, but it also involves your mind. In 1 Corinthians 14, when talking about singing, Paul says, I will sing with my spirit. That is to say, there's this almost guttural, this, this from your gut, you know, from your heart, you sing. But I will also sing with my mind. That is to say, we need to think about what it is that we are singing. This is one of the reasons why, this is something I think we started with John and it's continued with Tom, and that is, between the next to the last and the last verse, we stop singing, Tom plays for us, and it gives us a chance to go back, because we're so busy singing, we may not have realized what the words were saying. We can go back over as he's playing, like, oh, that's what, that's what we sang. And this is what we're going to sing in the next verse, that we're thinking about it. We're not simply doing it mindlessly. So we are God's people. Why do we sing? Well, first of all, to proclaim, to proclaim the truth, to confess what we believe to express ethical standards. Paul wrote to the Philippians, let this mind be in you. And then we have what many people believe is the first Christian hymn during the New Testament time found in Philippians chapter 2. And we remember the sacrifice of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We sing to praise, to give thanks to God. Isaac Watts wrote in one of his hymns, and he wrote many hymns as well, Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. You don't know God? Fine, don't sing. Singing is something that is meant for the people of God, those who know God. And we sing praises to him. We also sing because of fellowship. It's not just one person. We sing as a congregation. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We do it as a form of prayer. Most of us were raised or are part of a tradition where prayer is extemporaneous. We're sort of bothered when people read their prayers. It doesn't seem to be natural. But hymns are prayers. They are very carefully thought out. Oftentimes when we pray, we may make mistakes. We may stumble about looking for words. The hymns are carefully constructed and they express quite beautifully 
what we wouldn't come up with off the top of our heads. As I mentioned before, Augustine is alleged to have said, whoever sings to God in worship prays twice. And we sing because of joy. We have the wonderful word in James chapter 5. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? He should sing songs of praise. Because of joy we are to sing. So, why do we sing at Christmas? It has most songs attached to it in the Christian calendar. Why did they sing at the first Christmas? Before and after. We have the song of Zacharias. We have Mary's Magnificat. Then we have the angels singing. And we have Simeon saying, You may now dismiss your servant. It is joy at the realization of redemption. Salvation has come. God has sent his son to save his people. Oscar read to us, you are to give his name, give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's why we sing. Because of redemption, God has redeemed us. If you recall God's purposes, his people singing, there's proclamation, there's fellowship, there's praise, prayer, and joy. And at the birth of Jesus, we hear all of these. We didn't read Zechariah's song, so let me read to you the first part of it. It's when uh, John was to be circumcised, and uh, Zacharias had been struck dumb because he didn't believe what Gabriel the archangel told him. But now his tongue is loosed, and he sings. He gives praise to God. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He's redeemed us. He has raised up a horn of salvation. He has saved us for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zacharias like, it's here, redemption has come. And he praises God. And then what Lonnie read to us, uh, Simeon's song, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You've saved us. Your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. It's because of redemption that we're able to sing. And we should sing. And we do sing. Every Sunday, Dave begins our worship by singing to us and we respond, I will not fear. Because the Lord is my salvation, I will not fear. We sing because of God's redemption. And on this Christmas Sunday, perhaps more than any other Sunday this year, 
we are aware that God has sent his son and has redeemed us. And we have sung and sung and sung. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we have said, we are so grateful for the gift of your Son. We're grateful for the gift of music in which we can express our joy, our wonder at the gift of your Son. We can ask questions, what child is this? We can make proclamation like the angels, hark the herald angels sing. All of this is a wonderful gift from you. And on this day, we give thanks. At the same time, we remember those that have been mentioned earlier, for those who are afflicted, for Mr. Cabrera, for Romy Garzon, for TJ there in the Philippines, many others, for Feli. On this Christmas Sunday, we pray for them. We hold them up to you and ask that you would touch them and restore them. Thank you for bringing us together on this Christmas Sunday. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.